Hello and welcome to Blue Salt, the official Birmingham City podcast. My name's Colin Denny. Dale Moon here as well. Coming up, we'll be looking back at our matches against Aston Villa, Millwall and Preston North End. With the small matter of West Brom away on the horizon, we speak to two players who know both clubs more than any other, Paul Robinson and Kevin Phillips. They'll be joining us later in the podcast. The Blues Talk podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. Right, Dale, we're back again. Blues Talk, episode two. some reason, they've let us do another one. Yeah, I don't know. Must have done something right in that yeah. first one. Don't know how we've managed to get away with that, actually. But um, let's have a look back. I mean, we're going to start the podcast off on a slightly painful note. Mm. Has to be done. It would be remiss of us not to. We were here previewing the Villa match last time. Mm-hmm. It's happened just briefly. Your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, yeah, disappointing. Obviously, we, you know, we almost give a whole segment to that Villa build-up and everything that it meant to the fans and the players and Gary Monk came out with all the right things in the lead-up to the game. Uh, and the game itself, um, yeah, he took his one chance, didn't he? I think he was the the pantomime villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a disappointment, really. We started so brightly, I think, for five, ten minutes, run the front foot and I think Mags has a chance at the back post. He doesn't quite connect with it. Um but yeah, I mean, the game, I don't think there was much between either side, between the two boxes. I think their subs in the second half made a big difference. I think McGinn came on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Green had a chance. Wes clears one off the line. But they had a couple in the first half as well. Um, so, that, yeah, listen, they've got players that are full of quality. The annoying part is that, you know, all the fallouts marred by what happened mm-hmm. in that first half. I think it actually took the edge off the game. Mm-hmm. I mentioned how quick I think we started. Um, but for the 10, 15 minutes after that, I think everyone couldn't believe what they'd seen. Yeah. Yes, and I'm not going to go into detail about it because we've, you know, we're sick to the back teeth of all the fallout. The one mm-hmm. thing that was annoying is just you hear high-profile former players and ce- celebrities saying they want the book thrown at the club, it's which been is disappointing. Massively overboard, I hasn't it? So, listen, you have you have people who want to, um, you know, at all football clubs, regardless of size, security, whatever it might be, you're going to have people that want to interfere, and unfortunately, it happened to us on that day, but. Um, you know, you have to put your hands up and I think the statement that the club put out mm-hmm. immediately after the game was correct. I think Villa acknowledged it and they put one out similar to, to ourselves and, you know, it, that's the annoying thing that we're not sat here talking about a really good game and a derby and Blues getting the right result. Instead, it's we've lost the game and then we're marred by what happened. But, you know, these things happen and mm-hmm. in the long run and wait for a win continues. It's painful, but... All the best way of looking at it is we're one game closer to a victory against him, so that's the positive. Nearly there. Right, so we'll do the right thing and move on to talking about the football. Um, didn't lose against Villa really through lack of effort, lack of trying. No. Put their bodies on the line essentially during that match. So we moved on then to Millwall mm-hmm. midweek. Do you think just that effort had taken it out of them? I think so, P- possibly. I think we were flat. Again, the difficulty we had against Millwall is that they were a side who... They almost tried to do to Blues what we've done to teams this year. They put bodies behind the ball, mm-hmm. allowed us to have it across the back into 
Michael Kiftenbeld and, and our midfield area. And then when it went forward, they just rubbed us and tried to break. And that's where their two goals came from. I know mm-hmm. the gaffer spoke after the game about how disappointing it is to concede two counter-attacks, really. Um, the first one's a good, it's a good move. I mean, they moved the ball from their left-back position all the way across to almost that right-wing area. And he pulls it back and it's, it's a good finish. But you don't want to get caught like that. When you're the team in the ascendancy, mm-hmm. I think we were at the time. Um, you don't want to concede a goal like that. It's too too easy. And then the second one's a similar one, a ball down the, down the side of us. Um, and he's just allowed the freedom of half a pitch, really, to run inside and, and fire past camp. So that's the annoying bit. That gives you a mountain to climb. And they huffed and puffed the lads, to be fair. Again, this is a group that you can't knock all season. It's, ne- it's never a, an issue of whether they're not trying. And you hear yeah. not so much our supporters, but you hear football supporters say, well, they don't care or they're not trying. It's not been the case with these boys. Um, but yeah, all the emotion of Sunday maybe, and you know, a, a lot of um, a lot of games in their legs yeah. probably was just a real flat performance. We couldn't just get up any momentum going. We couldn't lift the crowd, and we couldn't um, generate any sustained pressure on their goal. That's that, it. That reminds me of what you were just saying. I mean, it's credit to the lads out there. Such a small group, but really, that's the first time this season we come away going is a bit flat. Yeah, yeah, and that, like you say, that in itself is probably a testament to what they've done this year. Not too many times that we've came away. Here you go. That was. I think Bolton was probably a similar game because they were a side again who, you know, really congest their side of the pitch, let Blues have the ball, and they say we're not worried whilst you've got it across the back four or into those holding midfield players. Um, But as soon as it goes forward, they robbed us and and they go and get themselves a goal. But two, two, you know, to go two nil down at home makes it really difficult. Supporters and get a little bit restless. Mm -hmm. And I think the manager was was right. He said, you know, in the aftermath of that game. He said, you know, there was one or two voicing their, their opinions and quite rightly so. And I thought it was quite refreshing, actually, again, from the manager just to come out and acknowledge the fact that they weren't good enough on the night. Yeah. And it was, you know, you quickly move on then. You want to see a response. It's not many times he said that this season as well, I think, which is one of the things that I've taken away from this year. Again, not really good enough against Millwall, mm. Bolton to an extent. But most games this season, when we have been beaten, again, like Villa, it's not been through a lack of effort or a poor performance. Yeah, I think we've been in games. But when I'm, you know, supporters aren't stupid. When they watch a game of football, they can see where, you know, sometimes I think managers come across quite patronising and they'll try and mask over what was clearly a poor performance. Mm. Whereas to me, if a, if a manager comes out and says, listen, you know what, hold your hands up. We weren't good enough on the day. Here's what we were missing. Here's how they punished us. This is what we're going to put right. I'd much rather hear that from my football manager than... You know, trying to pull the wool over supporters' eyes. I find that quite frustrating as, a, as just a football fan myself. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think it was the right thing for him to do. Came out and, he, you know, he didn't batter his players. He didn't, you know, try and hammer them. But at the same time, acknowledge the fact that we weren't at our best. And, you know, as he keeps saying this season, this is a group of players who have to be at their best for us to get results. They can't afford to carry anyone. Yeah. Um, and we just simply weren't um, on the night. So... Yeah, that, that one was put to bed quickly and then it was on to Preston. That's a golden chance. Over 5,000 Blues fans mm. up in Preston. Mm. I mean, I talk about great performances this season where we haven't got the results, it hasn't gone our way, but you came away from that thinking... I mean, I was writing a tweet at full time going, a draw is harsh on Blues here. Then mm. as I'm about to hit send... <laughs> so it's your fault. Ma- yeah, it's all my fault. Maguire at the other end, 90 plus four. Mm. Undeserved, really, yeah. wasn't it? It was gut-wrenching, actually. I mean, I, similar to you, we were watching that game and I was covering it with Jonathan Bell on commentary for Blues TV. And we've had three really good chances in that first half. And you, not that the writing's on the wall, but you, you've seen this game before. Um, 
you know, Shea Adams, one drops over his shoulder from a long clearance. He's, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, it's instinctive. He just flicks it and tries to help it on its way. Hits, hits the keeper. Jack Magoma tries to like, bend one in the far corner, yep. just wide. Conor Mahoney does the same from the opposite flank. But I think the big pleasing thing was uh, the reaction was there from the players. To go to a Preston side who were in a very good run again um, and put in the performance we did. I mean, they did not have an answer for it to us, if I'm honest. Um we stifled their midfield. They were they were trying to create little triangles and pass through us, but Michael Kifton Bell was an absolute monster in yeah. there. Gary Garner as well. I mean, we're back towards Jack Magoma was on the top of his game, particularly in that first half. Conor Mahoney as uh, well. Well, I think I mentioned it in commentary a few times. He's got the benefit of being able to go left and right foot. Yeah. And I think you play him out on that right and he'll cut in as Mags likes to on the left. Uh, and he whips a ball in that Duke has a snap at it and then Shea Adams at the back. So Shea at the front post, then Dukovic yeah. follows it in. But... It just was that final finish that was missing. But the longer the game goes on, Preston are thinking, well, we haven't played very well here and we could very well nick it. And the disappointing aspect is it comes from you know, our attack and they counter. Michael Kiftenbell makes a 50-yard sprint back. Incredible. To, to make uh, a goal-saving challenge on Daniel Johnson. And you think, well, OK, we've got away with a point. Um, and then the corner comes in and, and he nods it home. And it was gut-wrenching because you could see just all the deflation in the boys yeah. and he put that effort you know you want a response from what was a flat performance against Millwall you get it in the performance at, at Preston but you come away with absolutely nothing and that's the big the big frustration really and I don't like to hammer referees but we have to talk about oh, yeah. some of the decisions this is going to be my next point not two minutes before Maguire scored Shea Adams in the box great ball forward he's somehow onside mm. Cannons off the Preston defender's hand. Mm. I mean, it was obvious to everyone on the ground apart from the ref, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's there's a penalty. Then you've got the case of, I don't know whether his yellow card was stuck to his shirt. but So he's shown one in the first half. He's given a final warning. I don't know if it's Pearson or David, one of the defenders. I think it was Pearson. He gives a final warning. It's clear to everyone. Listen, I'm not there to hear what he says, but quite clearly, he's made a couple of quick fouls. He's given yeah. him a booking. Then he's made another one. You're thinking he's walking a tightrope. If you've given him that final warning, then in the second half, Shea's turned him, he's running towards goal on the corner of the 18-yard box. He's essentially through at this point. It has to be a red. Yeah. It has to be a second yellow and he has to go. And that's the big frustration is I'm not sure what it took for a player to be sent off again mm-hmm. for Preston that day. And I know it all, you know, I've read some comments from Alex Neal saying it was sour grapes. And I mean, I think it's quite ridiculous if I'm honest. I mean, you can clear for everyone to see that you can't not book a player for, for that. And um, it all adds to frustration because already you're frustrated at the result. Then you look back on it and you think, well, we've had chances. They should be down to 10 men. But listen, it is what it is. I want to mention for the support as well. Yeah. I mean, we we had these games every every season. It was Bolton last year where we took over 5,000. Um, but that was like fantastic again to go to Preston, which, you know, no disrespect to Preston. It's not a glamour tie. The weather was freezing. It was pouring down the rain. Not the best conditions. Uh, yeah. Um, and five, five and a half thousand to go up there was um, was phenomenal. And, you know, it, it's one part of the job, actually, that I look across and I see the away end and you just think, I'd love to be in it. Yeah. Oh, we, get the, we get the benefit of seeing what it looks like from the home Absolutely. perspective, from the opposition perspective. But there are times where you think, I would love to be in the middle of that. And the, this, the only thing missing was a goal because yeah. then you see the chaos of five and a half thousand just sent into absolute raptures. And that's the... That's the annoying bit, but yeah. I'll tell you what, you talk about frustrations for the players at the final whistle. None of that from the away end. Yeah. Straight to keep right on, yeah. back in the lads. That's what they have done all season. 
It's a testament to them, isn't it? Yeah, but again, I think that just goes to show that supporters aren't stupid. They can see when a team has played well. They don't need to be told by a manager or a player in their post-match comments where they went wrong or what happened. They've watched enough football now and they could see, I think, you know, the, the ones that follow us home and away and have seen us this season, they can see that that was a really good performance from the boys. And that's where it's difficult because you've lost the game and some supporters might be like, well, you know, we can't have been that good. We've lost, we've lost four on the spin now. Um, but I just felt like you hear managers sometimes come out and say, well, we're concentrating on performances. And they're like, well, I'd rather win a game. Well, how do you win a game? You have to concentrate on making sure the performance is there. There's no guarantee you're going to win it, but the best chance you've got of winning a game is by playing well. And, you know, I'm under no uh, illusion whatsoever that we played well against Preston. Well, we move on. International break to recharge before we travel to the Hawthorns. Now, the two clubs in recent years have shared mm-hmm. quite a few players. Curtis Davis, Liam Ridgewell, Craig Gardner. Darren Carter. Yeah, Darren yeah. Purse. Yeah, there's enough, enough players that have put on both shirts. Um, but these next two that I think you're going to introduce are <laughs> are one of a kind, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, th- I think characters would be the right term. Uh, Kevin Phillips, of course, legend of the game. Mm-hmm. Only Englishman to ever win the European Golden Shoe. Played for Albion, came to Blues. Mm-hmm. He's banging them in at both clubs. Yeah. And Robbo. I mean, what do you even say about Robbo? <laughs> Robbo and Kevin Phillips. It's like everyone knows what Robbo's like. And then you introduce his best mate into the mix and you've got uh, you've got the two of them. Um, you know what they're reminding me of? You know Mike Bassett, England manager yeah. in the film. You know the two that just pass to each other and they're like best mate. They were exactly like that when we were on the uh, when we were recording. Um, but now they were really good. I think the, as we'll hear shortly from them, they are throwback old school professionals, yeah, yeah. and that's not in a negative, not like a dinosaur way that they've they haven't moved on with the game. They acknowledge the fact that the game's moved on from from their early playing days, but also. Um, what they believe they benefited from in coming up for, during an era of that early to mid 90s where the spotlight wasn't on young players as much. They were given the freedom, but also that dressing room atmosphere. You know, you're a professional um, who can dig out your fellow pros, especially the senior ones. Um, I thought it was a really interesting insight. And, um, you know, we did touch upon the Damien Johnson incident, mm-hmm. which Paul Robinson was obviously the, the villain when he first arrived at the club. <clears throat> he was the. Uh, not the yob, but what did he call himself? The, the sort of tough man at yeah. West Bromwich Albion, didn't he? The, the hard man at the club. And um, so he had some, some fan opinion to turn around. And, uh, you know, w- when he came in on a, a one-month deal six years later and now still coaching at the club, it goes to show that um, he'd done all he can to turn that around and he's, he's been successful. So that, the two of them are really good guests and hopefully we'll have them on again and, and talk about... You, know, you can only really scratch the surface with them. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, there's definitely a, a scope there for to get them again. Listen, enough from us. Let's hear from the men themselves, Paul Robinson and Kevin Phillips. The Blues Talk Podcast. Kev, Robbo, good to have you with us. Thank you. And um, what is the second edition of Blues Talk Podcast? So we're still in our early days, but you've got the gaffer to follow, so we'll that first one. So we come out with some very safe managerial hat stuff. So we're going to try and get as far away from that as we can with you two, which is, probably, which is probably why we've got you. Well, there's gaffer, not my gaffer. <laughs> 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 I'll say what I want. <laughs> um, first of all, how did you two become friends? Where did you two first meet? Because I know there's a bromance between the two of you. It was at Watford. Watford, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Watford. When, when well, we were both at Watford. Robbo's a little, a little bit younger than me. So, um, but yeah, no, it was it was at Watford, and it, it kind of started there, really, didn't it? Yeah. It wasn't. I wouldn't say it was a proper 
friendship then really no, was it because I was still young when yeah, I and you signed when well, yeah. you signed I uh, came from non-league non-league yeah. Yeah, from Bulldog yeah so it was it was all new for me yeah um, and you'd been there for a while when you as a kid yeah I'd come through the academy yeah so it was uh, yeah it all started then it really picked up when obviously we reignited at, at West Brom yeah um, and that's when it really started then to be honest yeah what's it been like um, playing against each other playing together you, you played against each other a couple of times yeah, I think I, you've, I hated it. I, hated it. I think <laughs> the last time we played against I each other was, <laughs> was at Palace. And you came and beat us that night yes. in Birmingham. Yeah, it was four, 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 wasn't it? I didn't get a kick. So um, it was. Uh, I always remember when I first went to Sunderland and someone told me, people tell you when you go to the clubs as a striker, keep away, keep away from certain players. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Ball was the player at the time there. And I always thought when I come up against him, it's going to be just keep away from Robbo. Because no, <laughs> no matter how much your friends off the pitch, yeah. you know, as you are professionally, on the, it don't matter who you are. Yeah. If he gets a chance to kick us, he'll kick us. Um, and that 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 was in my head that night. So I don't think I got kicked, did I? No, it was a tough you, game for you that one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it was a real tough game for yeah. you. So uh, I remember I landed on your Achilles as well. Then you turned around to me, you went, you bent that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no, nah, I was just going for the header, and yeah, I landed on you. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, we played against each other many times. Yeah, loads of times. Can you switch that friendship off when you step on the pitch? Do you just, are you just in professional mode? Just it's respect as well, though. I think because of the quality of Kev, yeah. you, I've got to go on the job and be professional. The same as Kev. Kev will go on that pitch and he's, he's got the professional head on. Yeah, yeah you, I'm, I'm your mate before the game, but in the tunnel, we wouldn't... The game's changed now. In the tunnel, we wouldn't shake each other's hands, we'd give each other a big cuddle. It wasn't like that. It was like, yeah, all right, how you doing? Then, bang, we're in the game. Then after the game... Then we'd have that respect again, like we're mates and laughing a joke. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was on, it was on that basis really of just how professional he was on the pitch. Is it great you a bit when you see the players now? You know the handshakes and the hugs and stuff as, when they're about to do yeah. battle or go and play against each other. Do you think that's right? I, I, I think that's just the way football's going. If I'm being honest, it's, it's in terms. You see it in the dressing room and Robert now with you know both in coaching and been in coaching. It's. You can't say anything to anyone nowadays, you know, for the fear of you losing. They'll ring their agent. They'll, you know, they'll they won't perform. Um, whereas back then, it didn't. You know, you could say anything to anyone. So you could actually play against your mate. It kicked me. It wouldn't bother me. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't take it personally. Mm-hmm. But as soon as that whistle went, you're back friends again. Mm-hmm. So you're doing your job. You're being professional, and and that's the way it should be. But I don't. I'm not so sure it's uh, it's like that anymore, no. is it? Because a friend playing against a friend wouldn't surprise me if they just kind of like look after each other on the pitch mm-hmm. and that, that ain't how it should be no. do you think you two are part of like the last generation where you could have a life outside of football that wasn't in the spotlight you know as you come towards the end of your careers now your social media is just on you everywhere but towards the start that early 90s mid 90s you could probably do more away from football and the club that you, you can now uh, nah. <laughs> <laughs> team bonding. Yeah. We used to love team bonding when yeah. we were growing up, but that was that was the way it was. It was you'd go out for a drink together after a training session. You'd go after a game. You'd go out for a drinking session. Team spirit then was massive. That was that was part of the game. But now you've got the sports scientists. You've got the strengthening conditioning. You've got all these like looking after your body, etc., etc. So you can see the game changing for, for 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 the positives of it. Yeah. But then you're also taking away that side of your independence and you're growing up. Which we had then. We had we had a great togetherness, and you wouldn't change that. I wouldn't change that now, because no. that was my upbringing. That's how I am. Yeah. That's what made me. When I when I look back, it's what made me. Yes, you have to change as a person. And 
I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to develop as a coach now and, and learn different ideas. I have different ideas myself, it's, but it's me as a person how you do it. Mm. So I'm always willing to change, but, but what I look back on is that them things that I grew up with, I wouldn't change for the world because it made me the person I am today. Yeah, I think they probably need more of that now, the young players, just that school in that ground. You're not allowed to get away with running them up and down steps in a stadium or cleaning pros' boots. You know, it's always the debate that maybe they need a bit more of that. Do you sort of agree with it? Or? Uh, I, I personally, just coming up for a generation that I did, yes, didn't do me any harm. Yeah. Give me a good grounding, um, give me respect. Mm. Um, I think nowadays you see a lot of young players that have a lack of respect for their senior players, mm. for coaching staff, and I've seen it. You walk down a corridor, you get kids now just keep their head down, even look up and say hello anymore. Mm. When I'm, I remember growing up, that was the one, if you, if you did that, an older pro would have give you a slap. <laughs> and that was just the way it was, so it was just about respect. Um, I'm not saying we have to go back to that, but I think there has to be some kind of um, discipline. There is discipline in the class, yeah, there is don't discipline, get me yeah. wrong. I'm not, I'm not talking about generalising everyone, you know, mm. it's just, certain individuals um, but it don't do you any harm don't, I'm not saying you've got to go and clean the stands or clean boots anymore though certainly cleaning boots I think that should be part and parcel of it mm. um, earn your stripes but you know just going back to what you're saying in terms of um, camaraderie going out together team bonding there's not a lot of that really goes on nowadays um, just purely because there's a lot of nationalities, a lot of religions, don't believe in this, don't believe in that. And Rob, I tell you, any successful team that I've been in, he's been in, his mm. team spirit mm. is massive. You don't get anywhere without that. Mm. Um, and I think football's kind of gone away from it a little bit, purely as well, social media. You know, you go out as a team, yeah. it takes minutes, someone's video in your blah, but you know, whatever. And it's out there for everyone to see. So they, that's another reason which, mm. I believe social media does. It's great for football. It's great for for the world. But in terms of football, it can can hinder it a little bit. I think they miss out on that. The young players that are coming up now, they're so you know you see some players that are more bothered about their image and portraying the footballer lifestyle, all the positives that come with being a footballer, whether it's the cars, the caps, the fashion, but aren't willing to put the work into the art form, perfecting what they do. Do you think they probably need to? park that to one side a little bit yeah. and concentrate on making a career for themselves before they start all that. It's more of a lifestyle thing, isn't it? Now, yeah. I mean, the technology and, like you say, the social media side of things is massive. Yeah. Uh, kids nowadays will look at that as a platform for them. Mm. They'll, they'll go away from the side of football. We grew up loving the game. We loved the game. We played football with our mates in the streets. We'd ride our bikes to the parks and go and play football matches against other people. It's just the way it was. Mm. Now, what do you see? The, the dads now probably finish football, can't wait to go to go and get some shopping, like go to a shopping centre, meet their mates, be on their phones, the not even talking story. to each other, or they're playing Fortnite all night. Yeah. Which does my head in because my kids do it. <laughs> yeah. But my kids are still young. They're still not they're still not at that stage yet where football's important to them or any sport. Mm -hmm. I want them to still now play every sport as much as possible and enjoy it until they know the time's right, right now's to get my head down. Mm -hmm. Now I know what I need to focus on. That, that for me, that's now the society that we live in and the way that kids should be looking at things. It's, but like Kev was touching on there, is in the, it, when we was in the dressing rooms and that, we used to, we used to throw punches at each other yeah, in the yeah. dressing room. Yeah. Now, now you, you walk into a dressing room, no one says anything. So you're happy for him to make a mistake, but yet you're not going to dig him out because he's done that. Yeah. You're just going to let it be because you're happy keeping your place. Well, no, it's, it's, it's not like that. It's you, know like that. The, you know when you're entering the last few years of both of your careers, did you have to tone that down a bit or did you remain as you was? 
I, I personally couldn't help myself at times, but mm. you're right, you have to tone it down a little bit just purely because of the individuals you're getting out and that's yeah. the way football went. You don't want to, you know, your best player might be sitting there, but you can't take criticism. So you're just thinking, well, we want him out there. I don't want to have a go at him because we'll lose him out there. Mm. He could potentially win us the football match. Mm. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, football's changed so much. Mm. And since I've stepped in, certainly coaching with the first team, you can't say anything. No. You know, you, you, we had an incident this year at Stoke, I won't name the player, but good player, match winner. Because his name was mentioned in a bit of a, a rollicking, it was like, oh, it's my fault, is it? As though the whole thing was blamed on him. Now, it's not, you know, that, that was just bog standard. Back when we were playing, you, you know, get pinned up against the wall, you get slapped, it just, you just get on with it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the times have changed. I don't think it'll ever go back to the way it was. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's um, the rewards are there though, aren't they? You know, let's not forget mm -hmm. the rewards are there for, for these young players. If they if they perform, their attitude's right, they do things right, you know, it's, you can have a fantastic career. Yeah, And also, I suppose, it's in the interest of balance, you know, you look at sort of the success that the England youth levels are having now, 17s, mm -hmm. 19s, at European and world stage, clearly something that they're doing with young kids and bringing it through is working. So it's almost like, it's not all negative the way the game's moved on, but you can see that they've lost a little bit as well. I, yeah, I would say, it's funny actually, I was talking about this last night on the show I was doing about England, the youth set up and the DNA of, of England and uh, it's been successful. You know, it's taken a while to get there, but I think it starts from the bottom right the way to the top, so you see it now going into the first team um, and hence why they were successful in the summer, the, the full team. Um, so, yeah, the grounding, I think kids, they're getting, uh, everything's there for the kids nowadays. We, yeah. you, know, you see some of the academies, I worked at Derby, they've got the academy there is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, they want for nothing. Now we, there's another argument for another day, you know, do they, will we giving them too much too soon? Yeah. Um, I, I think we do. But it's, it's having an effect now for these young players, they're getting given everything at a young age, they're getting the, the best of everything, the best of the coaching. And it's taken time, and now we're reaping the rewards. Mm -hmm. Like I just said, the rewards are there. You know, the under-17s winning the World Cup, the under-20s as well. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the full team getting to the semi-finals. Now we've got to be looking really to push on and win the Euros in, in two years' time. So, you know, the benefits are there. Mm -hmm. But that's when you also look at it, you've got like someone like Gal Southgate, he's played the game. Yeah. So from him being the head, he's probably sat down, he's, he's made the decision, right, I need to sit down now with all the staff, this is where we want to go. So now we're going to change the whole the whole setup. This is how I want it programmed from not only the top, but I want it to go down. Mm -hmm. So everyone's on board then. You've got to have that. Mm -hmm. It's like me and Kev, hopefully in the future we'll work together. We know that our experiences over the years, we've got to bring a togetherness of that team yeah. to know right when they're on that pitch, they're one. When they're off the pitch, they're one. No matter what, you have to create that atmosphere. Yeah. And it's like what England's done. I think Gareth Southgate's, yes, a lot of people questioned him first, first of all being the England manager, but what he's done is he's brought a togetherness. And, and that's not just him, that's everyone involved and everyone's on, on the same page. So I think it's fantastic. And I think that's what needs to happen more. I think the clubs themselves, they all have to sit from the top down to the bottom, get a structure. Yes, the academies, all right. How can we make the academies better? So if we are rejecting kids and they are having to be moved on, right, what's the exit trustee for them? Yeah. Right, we need a plan for them now, is that when they go out and they're not so pampered at this football club, they need to have that independence now for themselves mm -hmm. to go out and experience the world of what's it like getting a bus. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Some yeah, of them yeah. would have experienced getting a bus. Yeah. 
they'd have been happy being picked up, taken to training, brought home. Right, go on then, go and get yourself on that bus and, and stop off foods. All them little things that you have to think about in yeah. football that don't don't get mentioned. Yeah. They're, they're the upbringings, they're the, they're the little things that can change. Yeah. I, th I think one of the biggest things for me is, and I've said it from day one, you know, it, it, when you're at school, you get sent out whatever you wanted to do, you know, when you, you're exact, whatever you wanted to do in life, you get sent to try and go and do a work experience, do go there for a week. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I actually think our scholars should be sent to do work experience, whether it's in a factory, whether it's, yes. you know, digging holes in the road yeah. or on a building site, go and work in the real world for, yeah. a, for a week, two weeks, Absolutely. and just see what it's really like. Mm. And I'm telling you now, most of them kids will come back and go, and it's not knocking anyone that works on a build. I yeah, worked yeah. in a build, I worked in a warehouse for two <coughs> years. You'll appreciate what you do every day mm. for what an hour and a half, two yeah, hours. Of course, yeah. Mm. You know, so I'm, I'm sure that will never come in because they're not even allowed clean boots. But, <laughs> so to send them on a building site, but um, <laughs> you know, it's clean. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I just think that sort of grounding would would really help young children. Yeah. You know, coming possibly. Through. Yeah. It's interesting that you've both got quite strong opinions on coaching. You clearly both went into coaching relatively soon after retiring. Was you both aware in those last few years that, that was you wanted to stay in the game and that was the way you were going? Did you plan for that or is it just a... Because it's not like you had that period where you retire and you're out and you're stuck in the cold. Because mm. a lot of footballers I know struggle with that period of adjusting. Yeah. They're finished. It's like, okay, what's available to them now? Coaching jobs are still difficult to come by. Were you both aware of that and started planning for that in your last few years of, of playing? I did, yeah, I certainly did, yeah. I mean, I wanted to. I did coaching before I retired. Mm. Don't, don't get me wrong, you, you still have your moments where you think about it and you, you think, right, I'd love to be on that pitch still, I'd love to be playing in front of thousands of fans, but there is, they've got to come a time where you've got to change and for me, um, to do the coaching before I retired helped me massively, yeah, because it helped me then see the picture of where I wanted to be next mm. instead of that, that moment of, right, I'm retired now, what do I do? I've got nothing there, am I going to... I think as well is that obviously the manager was brilliant with me. He wanted me on board with the coaching staff, so that helped. Knowing that the manager wanted you to start the football club and help develop the youth mm -hmm. at the club, so I think you've got to have a manager who believes in you as well and, and gives you that trust in right. This is where I where I see you at now. And again, it's character. The manager likes your character. He sees that you're a good communicator, mm -hmm. um, and 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 things like that. Yeah. So I think that transitional period for me was important. That I did the coaching first before I then went into it. Mm. I think. It's I think just following up now, I think it's so important that players that have played for such a long time, got so much knowledge of the game, should be kept in football. I just you see it too many times now where players can't get a job in football. It's just you know it's bizarre really. And you have people in football that I'm not saying you shouldn't that have never kicked a ball, don't really know what it's like to be out there. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's nothing better than a kid growing up being able to come and talk to Robert, come and talk to me. What was it like in a situation when you were one-on-one -on -one with a goalkeeper yeah. or you were facing someone one-on-one -on -one defending? That, that you can't, you can't, can't coach that. Can't get in a book. No, you cannot no. coach that. Now, that, I'm not saying there's not room for people that haven't played the game. There is. Mm. Um, so I think it's so important that we keep people in football and it's great to hear you know, that Gary wanted to keep, keep Robber here at the football club. Personally, me, I, I didn't have no intentions of going into coaching. Right. I kind of fell into coaching. Mm. Um, I wanted to go down the media route. I was doing a lot of Sky stuff and, and radio before I retired. But it was really just, uh, it was actually walking down the touchline at Sellers Park when I was at Palace and we were playing Leicester. And I was subbed that day and Craig Shakespeare was alongside me, who we know, both know. 
and he just said to me, what's your plans at the end of the season? Um, and I just said, not sure yet. He says, uh, do you fancy a coaching role here? And I was like, oh, I, can't, well, I can't really say yes or no. <laughs> I was like, uh, let me think about it. He said, listen, have a think about it. He said, I know Nigel would love to have you on board here. So that, that kind of stuck in my mind, really. I just, mm. I'd never even thought about it. Um, and then I went to Leicester as a player. Um, and then at the end of that season, Nigel offered me a coaching role. And I just thought, I'll have a go. You know, why not? He's, and it, and he, he was excellent with me. He just said, come in. If you like it, great. If you don't, no problem. Tear your contract up. You can leave. Mm. I went in. And as a, I went in as a striker coach and started working with Vardy, Nugent, Joa, Okazaki. And it was great. Absolutely loved it. Because, you know, as Rob, I tell you, the next best thing from playing is still being on the training pitch, day in and day out, having a banter with the lads. And just enjoying it really yeah. and giving your knowledge over to the players mm. um, so really I, f I fell into it and, and I would have to say it was the best decision I made yeah. is that probably the big thing that players struggle with is you've been around the group that changing room mentality since I don't know 16 sometimes younger all the way through to hopefully late 30s and then all of a sudden you're out as that lone wolf you're not getting the camaraderie you're with the boys mm. every day the jokes the banter that goes on is that the big thing that you think they miss is it it's a retired yeah, pro. Yeah, I think so. Definitely, yeah. But we're the type of characters who just get on with it. Mm -hmm. I know that I know that Kev will never change his personality over the years with what I've known of him. Mm -hmm. I know that everyone will respect him no matter what. Mm -hmm. So he'll make he'll make friends and he'll have that camaraderie in the staff situation because yeah. yeah. you can always change that. You'll go, right, I'm going on to staff now, so let's have the banter. Yeah. Let's get that camaraderie together and be a group now like that. So I'm the same. I have that type of personality where I try and I try and get on with everyone as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, yeah, I think I think that's important. And like Kev was touching on there, with working with the first team players and etc. etc. Mine's obviously different because I'm I'm working with the youth. I think the hardest thing for me is trying to get them to see a picture. Yeah, is like when you're on the football pitch and you see certain things. These kids don't see it. Yeah. They don't They don't quite understand it. Can you teach it, or do they have to see it themselves? You, you can teach it, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's got to come from them. Yeah. I can't, I can't teach them to do the things that I did. Yeah. Kev can't teach certain people to do the things that he did, but what he can give them is he can give them that picture. Mm. Right, this is the scenarios. If you're in this position, this is what I'd like you to try and do. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, brilliant, like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So from, from a kid's point of view now, it's that understanding, right, where's my positioning now? So you're not even... I'm not looking at defenders. I'm looking at midfield players. I'm looking at strikers. Yeah, yeah. That was going to be my next question. You know, because you're a defender and yeah. Kev, you're a striker. Yeah. You don't want to be pigeonholed into our oh, world. Kev just must look after the forward players and, mm. and rather the offensive because that almost does you to an injustice. There's more yeah. to your coaching skills than just one aspect of coaching. Yeah, but what, what you'd like to think is that when you're in that team and you've got like a striker coach, you've got a midfield coach that you're sitting there with, you can still have a conversation about what do you think about that, yeah. what you, and that's that's great because yeah. then you've got so many you've got so many different opinions and different options of what you can do with your team. Mm -hmm. I think it's massive. Mm -hmm. I think you have to have that. You have to have that at every football club. Mm -hmm. You have to have a striker coach, or you wouldn't even call them striker coaches. You just have to have your team around you mm -hmm. that is known for that position and understands how his forward players are going to work, yeah. and then you can, you put it together and put it in that team. I mean. Yeah, I, I think team. football that's the way football's going it's almost going down like the NFL really, yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? there's like individual coach for every you know we, we, we had it at, at Stoke when, when Gary went in at Stoke I went in as basically a defensive coach we had Roy Dillap as the midfield mm -hmm. and Callum Davidson as a, as a defensive coach that's not saying you know we only did that mm -hmm. but that was our area that 
you know, after every game, we'd analyse the full. I'd analyse the forward players, mm-hmm. um, watch the games, and then sit with them, have meetings. The tools nowadays, for, there's no excuses there. Oh, you can sit, yeah, there's you no can show them everything. Mm-hmm. Um, as Robbo said earlier, you know, you want to try and get them to do what I did as a player. I know it can be difficult, but you can show them now. Mm-hmm. You can you can show them out there. You can show them on the video. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, but I think just going back to the, the coaching side of it, the transition. I think you have to try and, you know, having the banter on the training ground, you have to get that balance now as a coach where you have to be, you have to know when to stop yeah. because now you're not a player anymore. And I, I wouldn't say I found that difficult to start off with. I found it more difficult that I got myself really frustrated early doors um, because you wanted to say something, you'd, you'd go home with your head up your backside sometimes. And I always remember Craig Shakespeare saying to me, he said, Kev, you can't let it affect you. Mm-hmm. He said, because if you do, it, it, it'll, it'll make you, it'll interfere with your work. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll make bad decisions. Um, he said, so you just got to, you got to try and switch off, um, which was probably one of the best bits of advice that, that, I, that I would tell any ex-player that's going into coaching at whatever level. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just got to switch off, which is hard, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's hard, yeah. Um, and, and try not to get too frustrated. Mm. Because you both had fantastic careers, played at the highest level, do you find yourself getting frustrated with players that aren't capable of doing what you're trying to? It's something that's always levelled at pros. You know, Players that have had fantastic careers always say, well, he might not be a great manager because he's expecting his players to do what he could, and he might have been a special player, whether it's Thierry Henry, Gianfranco Zola, whoever it might be. Do you find well, you get those frustrations? Yeah, that's what I was just you know, right. basically alluding right, to okay. there. You know, it was, uh, and, and don't forget, I was working my first job with Jamie Vardy yeah. and even then you know and I think he would admit it, the times he'd go f- do stuff and I'm thinking what are you doing Yeah, everything was crash bang wallop at the beginning <laughs> you know yeah. he, he was trying to hit everything so hard mm-hmm. and he was quite a lot just smashing it straight down the middle and you try and sit with him in a video just saying that when you get what are you thinking mm-hmm. well I just got rid of the target yeah that's great at the target but let's mm-hmm. try and have a bit of finesse mm-hmm. try and you know not try not to hit it so hard but try and find the corners mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, and that was the reason, you know, why Shakes just calm down, mm. you know, calm down. He, you know, just keep, keep trying, keep showing the video, mm. keep telling the same stuff, but don't you go losing it mm. because you'll start giving bad messages. Mm. Um, now, you know, I wouldn't say I'm taking the credit for his finishing. No, no, but you've done it. Actually, when you sit and analyse some of his finishes now, yeah, it's, it's a lot more finesse, a lot more composure. Yeah. So you know, it can can have an effect. Yeah. So that same with you, Robbo. You work with young players now. Yeah. Sometimes find yourself. Yeah, I mean the young lads are brilliant. I mean I say it now on on record. It's like they've they, they have they've come they've come leaps and bounds with with the stuff that we've asked of them. We've we've not we've not intensely gone at them and gone no. You need to constantly be doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this because they've got to have their own game as well. They've got to have their own style of play, and you've got to let them you've got to let them be creative. You just give them pointers. So when I'm working with the defenders, the midfielders, the strikers, it will just be little bits of advice. So, right, what do you think if you can do this a little bit better? Or what, what about your position? What if you come away from the ball a little bit? Why? Because the tendency with kids is they want to be around the ball. Yeah. Everything's got to be, oh, there's the ball, there's the ball, there's the ball. No, let's stay away from it. Mm-hmm. Give yourself a little bit. What if you now come 10 yards away from the ball and in this position, what now? What picture have you got in your head now? Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah. Because so you're just asking them the question and put yeah, the emphasis yeah. on them. Whereas with senior pros, sometimes you don't have to ask them that question. But with the kids, you are. You're, you're giving them... That opportunity to give you the answer because yeah. you don't want to give them to them. You want them to like. You want to have that little bit of connection with them where you're like, yeah, yeah brilliant, you're getting it. Yeah. But then you'll go 
and you'll say little different pointers to different people. Mm. And it is, it's, it, it's amazing how, how it works. When you see it, obviously you don't see with what goes on, but yeah. you'll just see the end product, which is on yeah, the football yeah. pitch, you know, you're trying to translate it then on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean they've, they've, they've done really, really well this season. So I've been really, really pleased with them. Okay. Before we come on to both of your playing careers at Blues, I just was thinking when you was talking about, you obviously, your lads in the academy. Yes. What's it like standing on the sidelines with parents? <laughs> because parents are a huge issue, especially with, from them. <laughs> especially with yeah. young players. Yeah, I'll stand And you hear them. some of the shouts and some of the embarrassing. Yeah, the expectation that some parents have on their kids, particularly when they're at academy. How difficult is that to listen to and keep yeah. that mouth buttoned? At first, it was. <laughs> at first, I stood with the parents as respectful. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a parent. I wanted to be a dad. Yeah. And just there watching my kid, but I had to take myself away. I can't. Just wound you up that Yeah, I, I, and you can't. You can't say anything. Because obviously the parents are then gonna, you know what parents are like now. Yeah, they yeah. start complaining. Oh, he shouted at me. He's yeah. he used to be the club captain. His his son's in the academy, etc., etc. So I take myself away from the situation now, and I stand over where the coaches are. <laughs> just yeah. makes my life easier. Yeah. But you look at the parents now. They want to be the players. Not just let the kids enjoy the football. Mm. Um, let them do what they're doing. Let them have a smile on their face. They're not at that age yet. They're not at the age where you're shouting information at them. They don't get it. They don't understand. Mm-hmm. So you've got to let them develop. You've got to let them enjoy every moment of it while they're doing it. And, and just have that respect for the, for the coaches as well. The coaches are there for a reason. The coaches are there to help the kids, to help them develop. You don't want your parents shouting halfway through a game, why are you doing that? When the coach is giving him an instruction of, like, I really want you to do this. Yeah. It's the kid then, you look at the kid and he's like, he's staring around looking going, well, who do I listen to? Yeah, Am I listening to the coach? Yeah. My, my parents are going to shout at me when I get in the car because maybe I, like, I should have listened to them. Yeah. It's just, yeah, so I, I now I take my, myself away from the situation because I will lose my head with some of the parents. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, and I, I'm the same. I've got two lads that are in academies. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the clubs have made the right steps in terms of they've got the authority now to stop a game and I've seen it. Right. Coach has gone over to the parent and told them to be quiet and if you're not, well, they'll escort you from the training ground. Yeah. Which I think it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you're a parent, you can't help yourself. Mm-hmm. You don't mind just shouting out and giving them encouragement mm-hmm. but you can't be shouting instructions trying to tell them to go here and there when you, like you say, we've got qualified coaches. Mm-hmm that work on it all week and then you've got a parent trying to tell the player to do something different um, but there's nothing wrong with trying to encourage your kid but I, I'm not Rob I take myself away I, I, yeah. I kind of arrive 30 seconds before kick off stand away and then as soon as a couple of minutes are left I'll, I'll, I'll go and sit in the car yeah. Or, yeah. or whatever and just, just keep away um, but it's you know I, I've had a different scenario with my lad in terms of going back to young children being an upbringing I, I, I've got my own argument about academies my lad was in the academy at Derby from six going on seven mm-hmm. my lad rings me about two months ago and, and I had the conversation with I suppose no parent really wanted he turns around and tells me he doesn't want to play football anymore so I, I kind of like didn't know what to say um, so he's actually taking himself and I think I give him massive respect mm-hmm. he's taking himself out of Derby Academy and he doesn't play football now yeah so, but I think that's just because he's had so much pressure from seven-year-old till he's 13. Mm-hmm. He's never been out to play for the school team. He's never played for a Sunday team. He's trained three nights a week. He's played on a Sunday. I just think it's too much yeah. too soon. Assessed so, all the time. Yeah, assessed. Um, you've got to do this um, huddle. You've got to feel... Yeah. It's just so much pressure on a young kid. Don't forget they're at school. They've got homework. Yeah. So, it's... 
you know, I think they have to get the balance right. And, and to be fair, I don't know whether it's happened to other clubs, but they've actually tailored the training now down a little bit. Yeah. You know, they, they've taken sessions away. Um, so I think if you don't get the balance right, kids can get burnt out. Yeah. You can get burnt Get bored, out. don't they? Yeah, they get bored. Get bored. And I, and I think exactly that's happened to my lad. Yeah. You almost feel for the, the lads of professionals or ex-pros because they're always going to be known as Robbo's son or Kev Phillips' son. You don't want, you want them kids to be just little Jamie or yeah. Dale or whoever it might be and that's why you sort of feel for them a little yeah, bit. I think that's why that distance you create probably helps you lads as well because yeah. they just become their own player yeah. and can grow and learn things their own way and there's not that weight of expectation. Yeah, yeah it's tough. It's tough. Um, and I think just at school as well. Yeah. You know, I've had instances where the kids have come home and just because of who your parent is. Yeah. It's tough for them. Yeah. You know, it's really tough. Um, but It's a balance, isn't it? You've yeah, just got to try and get right. And yeah, exactly, yeah. You're hoping, well, you, I just turn around to you, I always turn around to my boys and just say, well, they're not your mates. If they're going to talk to you and treat you like that, then they're not your mates. Yeah. So just don't hang around with them. Try and distance yourself as far away from them as possible mm-hmm. and just hang around with the kids who respect you for who you are and, and just be and just be and play with them and enjoy that and enjoy your friendship with them. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about your time in blue shirts. Uh, Kevin, if we start with you, join the club. Uh, have we just been recently relegated from the Premier League? Yeah. We've just come down. And you scored the first goal and the last goal of that season, both yeah. really important. But how do you sort of sum up your time playing at the club? Oh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Three great years here under under Big Eck. Um, I actually left West Brom. You know, when Robbo was there, we just got promoted. Sounds strange, really, doesn't it? You leave a club that just got promoted to the Premier League to come to a club that just got relegated from the <laughs> Premier League. Um, so it was a... That's another story, anyway. But yeah, once, <laughs> once uh, we we'll have to get you back in for a couple of hours. Yeah. <laughs> once uh, that'll be the West Brom podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think once once a decision had made that I was coming here, I was looking forward to it, yeah. and it was um, turned out uh, the first game I couldn't wait. You know, Sheffield United here started mm-hmm. on the bench, and then managed to come on and get the winning goal in the, in the dying minutes. And it was always a a diff- difficult one for me because you never really know how I was going to be accepted, obviously with my Aston Villa connections yeah. and obviously scoring the winning goal here against Blues yeah. a few seasons before. So as a striker, the only way you can get these supporters straight behind you yeah. is score goals. And there was no better way for me to start than to get the winning goal here yeah. against against Sheffield. And then obviously at the end of that season to get the winning goal that took us to the Premier League. So um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Obviously we won the League Cup as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, delighted. It, it was it was free great. It would would have liked to have played a bit more. Yeah, and I think Big Ek now, if you're sitting down and and kind of grilled him about it, mm-hmm. he would probably say I should have started him in more games because mm-hmm. I think the stats will show that every time props when I came on the pitch when I was sub, I kind of made an impact, mm-hmm. got some goals. Um, so, but three great years, met some really good people and. Mm-hmm. Every chance I get still now, now I'm out of work to come back. I've been back to at least three or four games. Yeah. Um, it's only because it's been free and it's cool. I actually came to the Villa game and uh, my mate took me to the, the roost yeah, yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I think I met every hooligan in there going. And, uh, Jeff Warsfield was in there. So yeah, that's a shock. Um, <laughs> and, and Paul Devlin. But yeah, it was fantastic. I, I always love coming back. And, yeah. Yeah, three really good years. How pleased are you that, although you had that career, Villa, West Brom and Blues, you didn't ever seem to 
infuriate any of the fans because you played for another club within the city? Is that probably just a, like you say, you, you let your talk in? I think it's goal scorers. Everyone loves goal scorers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I always say, people always say to me, do you ever get up? I've never been out in Birmingham and had any hassle. No. The only people give me a bit of jip are the, are the, uh, the, Wolves. the Wolves supporters. Yeah. But they only ever say to me, it's only because we wish you'd have signed yeah, for yeah. us. Yeah. So it's the same when I go to the North East with Newcastle supporters, you know, I wish you'd have signed for us. Mm. So it, it, like Rob was saying, it's a respect thing, you know, and yeah, it's, it's great. You know, I live in the city, well, I live just outside the city and I love coming in because I don't get any hassle. Mm. Um, but again, it's a goal. Supporters love goal scorers. Yeah. Um, and ultimately they, they can win you football matches and, mm. and we all love them. Mm. On well, the topic, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Okay. Um, what was it like being part of the squad in the 9-10 season that finished ninth in the Premier League? What was the team spirit around the camp like? Oh, brilliant! Absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I'd only finished seventh twice with Sunderland, and we're talking about teams that you can only get to them sort of heights in the Premier League without you know having good teams, having good players, of course, good coaching staff. We had Roy Aiken um, on on the coaching staff with Big Egg, who I thought was excellent. Um, so yeah, we, but we had we had some good, honest, hard-working players. I think the unknown side of it, the uncertainty of other teams, know you know who, who we're coming up against here. That always has a, a big influence. Um, but it was great, you know, it was fantastic. I would have liked to have had a few more minutes on the pitch, but you know, it was a, it was a, it was a really really good season. Yours is quite. We've spoke about this story before, but to join on a one-month contract and still be here, however many years later, is so a testament to you, <laughs> which is unbelievable. What was that like when you first joined the club? It was obviously because you were a bit of the, the villain because of your yeah. incident here in West Bromwich Albion yeah. and Damien Johnson. Yeah. So lose, yeah, they, they, so you had almost a, uh, an opinion. Yeah. Me, yeah. You had like the supporters to turn around a little bit as yeah, well. Of course I did. Yeah. Well, but like you say. Everyone loves a goal scorer, but when you when you come to Blues, I, I lived in the area. I, I know what Blues fans like, and they like someone who puts their heart on the sleeve, mm. and will go for a brick wall for their teammates and 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 give a hundred percent on the pitch. And I was one of them players, but for me, yeah, it was is obviously I had to I had to prove that I had something to prove. I didn't have a club for three months, so I was going through some tough times of just training by myself and keeping myself fit while I was waiting for something to happen, and then. I just got the phone call that obviously the Blues have had a real defensive problems with loads of injuries and suspensions. Lee Clark called my agent and he just said, look, we, we want Robbo to come in and just have a like, train, have a look at him, see what shape he's in. So I come in really and then from, from that day on, it was, there was, in my eyes, it was no looking back. I just had to prove a point and I had to prove myself and prove to others that I still had it. Um, there's still something about me that I could obviously fire my own teammates up as well and help them try and go forward a little bit with the situation. It was difficult times. Um, and it was about being that leader, a leader a leader coming into the football club and, and trying to get a, trying to get people to change their minds about how they how they played and and how they were performing. So so yeah that month to month was <laughs> it was it was pretty intense. Yeah. But it I loved it because I love challenges. Yeah. Um, and it and again it's the type of person I am, it's the type of character I am that I don't give up easy and I'm always prepared to fight to fight to fight fight for them reasons and and to fight for the cause, so so yeah, it was it was it was interesting. Do you, do you remember some of the rubbish you get from fans? Did you when you first joined? Do you remember? Did ever? Or was it all an online? Uh, mainly online, sort of social media, Twitter, etc., yeah. etc. Et I call it. T- there's loads of them on there. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, you you always just get them trolls, the trolls that sort of you're a fug, no one likes you, etc., yeah. etc. And in 
I used to just there, there's the ignore button. Up. There you go. <laughs> track, track them down. And yeah, we'll find out where you live, and I'll turn up and knock on your door at some point. Um, but yeah, you get that anywhere. I mean, I, I I I'd get off the Wolves fans when I played for West Brom. It, like you say, Bolton wasn't it wasn't too bad up there. The area was quite quiet. So yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Watford would have been Luton. So you, you always you'd always yeah. get the old idiots who would try and like make your life hell a little bit. But it's just. The majority, By the way, that it? was a nasty derby, that one. Yeah, Watford Luton. Luton. Yeah, yeah, that was. It. Yeah, that was probably one. So, like yeah. the West Brom Wolves, you would pro- probably say the Watford Luton ones. So they, yeah, they were like, terrible. Yeah, man. nasty. Oh, okay. Proper nasty. Yeah. What was it like for you as a local lad playing in it? Yeah. Scary. When I was Watford boy, yeah. I mean, I made my debut. I made my debut against Luton. Um, my full debut, and that was that was yeah, pretty pretty scary. But loved it because it made me, like you say, do you know what I mean? This is where I want to be. Yeah. This is what I want to do. So I've got to get used to it. I'm going to get this now. If I want to, how long I go on in my career, I'm mm. going to get it no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Um, you relish that. You relish that. Like, I love it. Yeah, I love. Really I love. Yeah, I love. Being I love the bad guy, you so, almost. Yeah. I embrace. You embrace. Not even being the bad guy because I, I never felt I was a bad guy. Yeah. I, I was, in the I was a winner. The yeah. supporters. In the opposition fans, but like Kev said, the opposition fans were probably they were, they I didn't like you because they wanted you on your team. Yeah. The true supporters. Yeah. You know. Respect. Yeah, they give them stick, but it's respect because a lot of them would think, "I wish we had a player like that in our team." Yeah, yeah. That would run through a brick wall, that would dig someone out, have a go, keep mm-hmm. going right to the end. If you're losing two or three nil, never give in, never give up, and that, that's that's what you're after. You can't ask for any more. Everyone's going to have an off day, mm-hmm. um, but organisation. It's you know everyone wants a player like that in their mm-hmm. in their team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You obviously know if you're aggressive. I think every montage you've made at the club of you is just being tackled. And there's a few goals in there as well, actually. I'm My yeah. lack of quality couple of shown in the videos. <laughs> couple of like my, my roulette that I did. Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I was like that never got shown. Just a, There's a few headed goals. A few nutmegs on there as well that I did. But mo- mainly Main, screaming, Mainly shouting. headers and kicking people in the air. Yeah. yeah, that's Robbo. Brilliant. Have you, um, <laughs> Cheers, lads. Have you watched back the, the Damien Johnson incident since it happened? Uh, I, I watched did it back a few times watch? after, yeah. Yeah. What did you make? What did you make of it now? Having watched it back. Oh, what I was, it was a, it was an accidental clash. Two players fully committed. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see in his eyes with with he, he only had eyes for the ball. I only had eyes for the ball, um, and it was just a freak accident. Mm-hmm. In my eyes, it was just a freak accident. I ended up turning, and, yeah. and catching him. My cap caught him on the jaw. I didn't know how bad it was until he was lying on the ground. Yeah. And obviously, Kev was here at the time, so Kev was a Blues player at the time. Yeah. And I used to speak to Kev, I used to phone, how is he like, is everything all right? Because yeah, I, yeah. I did, I went in the dress rooms after to see him. The, the security guards obviously were by the changing room doors and, and I went in and Seb Larson and all that was in the, in the physio room looking at him and I went in, I went, look, I went in to apologise and he didn't accept it. So he didn't, he didn't want to accept it, Damien right. at the time, but I could understand he was angry, he probably thought that, yeah, I went done him. yeah, I'd done him and it was on purpose, etc., etc. But I wasn't that type of player. Mm. I wasn't the type of player that was always Right, I don't like him. I never had a hatred for any football player. Yeah. It was a, it was a respect. It wasn't personal. Was it? It wasn't personal. Two players running out the ball, and you see it. You see the players that that do go in to do people. Yeah. You see that, but you also see freak accidents that happen on football pitches, and but you also see that respect outside that a lot of people don't see. Yeah, where they'll go in and try and and try and say their apologies, etc., etc. Yeah. So yeah, but. You'd like to think that if I bump into Damien in the future, it's all forgotten about and we can shake each other's hands and, and get on with it like yeah. men. But yeah. um, but you never know. I mean, at the time, yeah, he was probably frustrated and yeah. annoyed with with the way it happened and 
and uh, yeah, he didn't want to accept my apology. It might be one where your reputation goes before you as well. If you're known as the the yard man of the West Bromwich Albion, yeah, but Damien was the same. Yeah, he was the same character. Yeah, he, he was the same footballer. Yeah. He had he had a, something about him where players respected him because they knew he was the captain of the football club. He yeah. drove at the time. You could see he drove the club to promotion mm. with his determination and the way that he demanded off players around the football pitch. So I had a respect for him because of the player that he was. No, no I, I got promoted. Yeah, I know you, yeah. <laughs> you do. Do you remember the after yeah. that? Do you, do, you, do you remember that game and what happened after? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. So we were all in the dressing room afterwards and Johnny, had, his head had gone. You yeah. know, he was like, he wanted he wanted to get a Robbo at the time, yeah. which you know, we've seen hundreds of times in the dressing room, but until things calmed down, I think he didn't want to accept it, but he weren't aggressive. It was just, it was oh. one of those get out. Or it was... Mm -hmm. Listen, he calmed down after a while, and I'm pretty sure if they bump into each other, it will, you know, they'll be forgotten about. Um, and it's football; you just accept it, you get on with it. Um, yeah, it's part and parcel, really. Rob, I know you've got a presentation, so I just want to finish yes. on um, why you both decided it was a good idea to dye your hair blonde. I know you've told this story before, but I just want to get it on the record as to what yeah. came over the pair of you to think that it was Alcohol, a good idea. Twenty pints of twenty Stella. pints of Stella. <laughs> Yeah, so you sitting so in the house. Kev's house. Kev, well, Kev um, so when, obviously when we was at West Brom together, we always used to have a, like a camaraderie between ourselves, a group of us, where we'd have our wives and that all round. Mm -hmm. So Kev decided that one Sunday afternoon he'd have like a barbecue around his house. So me, Caroline and the, um, the boys, and Caroline was pregnant at the time, we went round. And it was uh, drink after drink, we started to get like carried away, laughing and joking too much. And then obviously the next thing was it, was it your sister? Was it Jules? No, yeah, Jules yeah, 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 she's a hairdresser. So, the hairdresser. <laughs> yeah. Next thing, we're obviously can feel like this stuff going on our head, and it like burned a little bit. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? Is the alcohol has gone to my head here? I'm thinking, jeez, like, why am I feet? Why is my head tingling like this? Next thing, obviously, you see like the rubber gloves are on, the, the dye's going on your head. And then Kev's like getting his done, and then we're thinking, yeah, we oh my god, we're going to put clean film around our head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the worst thing for me is obviously Kev had, had he'd had more treatment on his. So he'd had I woke up in the morning and I was ginger. Oh, it wasn't even blonde. It wasn't even blonde, it was like <laughs> ginger. So I've got up with with like rough as the next morning, yeah. Caroline's looked at me because obviously she's pregnant, so she's looked at me, she's gone. What was you thinking? <laughs> like, look at the state of you. Go and have a look in the mirror now. And I would I would I would say that you wear a cap all day. So I've gone in there and I'm like, oh my God, what have we done? So I'm trying to get hold of Kev. I'm going, Kev, can you send me a picture? What, what does your hair look like? Like that. Mine don't look like that. What is going on here? So we had to go. We, I literally remember it. We drove into Solio. We had to go and get another dye. So we had to go and get another hair dye just to make sure it went again. white like Kev's. Yeah. And then from then on, it like on yeah, the pitch and that, mate, wasn't it? Turned up, there was a few a few, lads. Turned and yeah, a few yeah, people, but I actually thought it looked all right. I thought we looked decent, mate. And then I think may have, may have scored that day, and then we just made a concert, just run over and just rubbed each other's <laughs> head, and then we just thought we're winning football matches, just keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And we, so you I remember redoing it as well. It was like it was starting to fade, so I redid it again. <laughs> I said, "You better do yours because we ain't lost the match yet." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> got didn't we then? And there's actually still a picture of that. Yeah, I've got have a picture. Seen, yeah. Have you seen it now at the stadium? Oh, was there one at West Brom now? Come out of the the tunnel. You know, the far side. There's a great big mural. Yeah. And there's a picture of me there with my blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Great memories, though. Oh, oh great memories. Yeah. yeah. Great memories. Good times. Yeah. 
guys, thank you ever so much for your company thanks, today. Thanks, I, I'd, shorter than I'd like, we could sit here for hours and talk about these stuff. So we'll definitely get you back on, but really appreciate your stories today. No thank worries, you. thank you. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. You know, that was almost so interesting. You didn't want to interrupt them while they were talking. I just kind of sat back and let them go for it. Yeah, like I say, we could have been there for, for hours, but you can see that they're two real professional footballers who get everything to do with not just the coaching aspect, but you know what it means to be a team now they've both got as they say sons who play the game so there's almost the parent uh, approach to the game as well but I think you've just got lots of experience there and like Kev said you know it'd be a shame for pros like that who've enjoyed a fantastic career in the game to drop out now fortunately in Robbo we've managed to keep older one and obviously assists Richard Beale at the 23s level Kevin Phillips has had his fair share of coaching roles as well with, mm-hmm. with Gary Rowett so um, two players who are fantastic. You can just see they're, they, you know, they're best mates, and um, obviously met each other early on at Watford. But um, <laughs> particularly enjoyed the uh, story about the hair dyeing situation. Yeah, they were mimicking the Watford shirt. Really, it's a little bit of a throwback. <laughs> no, it's like a drunk. You had that drunken idea that you know to walk home. That would be a normal, normal drunken idea. Would be like, okay, we're going to walk home, but it's about seven miles. Theirs is we're drunk. We're just going to put dye on our hair. And the fact um, that, as Kev said, there's still a picture of that at the Hawthorns. The fact that, that the fact that they embraced it to the point that it started to fade, so they thought they needed to do it again. Fair play to them both. Clearly, you know they see the, the lighter side of the game as well. But two really good characters, and um, like I say, it was a really good chat with them. Is that a pun, the lighter side, or no? It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. I'm not that clever. Right. <laughs> so we go to the Hawthorns then next Friday. Really should have beaten them here, shouldn't we? Yeah, it was a really good performance again. It, again, it was near the start of the season where we couldn't buy a win, mm-hmm. um, but the performances were there. Similar to that Preston game we just we spoke about earlier on, but um, yeah, it's a local derby. Yeah, it's not the derby of for Blues or for for West Brom, um, but it'd be a really good atmosphere. Helps that it's a Friday night as well. Under the lights, I always enjoy those night games. Um, but ultimately, we need a result. Yeah, put all of that aside. We are in a a, a tricky spell of four games without a win. We we'll want to be picking up points as as much as we can. Eight games remaining now. Um, some tough games. Um, down at St Andrews, uh, in terms of the, the teams to come down here, have all got things to play for, and, and they're both on the road as well. You know, there's teams fighting for their lives, so big eight games left to play. You come in the back of an international break where the boys can recharge their batteries again. I know I keep alluding to it, but it is a small squad, and I think these little breaks probably do help. Although it's annoying you go into it in a bad run of form, yeah. it just gives you a breather to get away from it for a bit. And the players have had an extended period off at the start of that international break, so they can just get away from football, recharge their batteries, and get ready for, for an eight-game running. Just having a chat before we start recording, talking about how since Albion sat Darren Moore, been in a little bit of a run of form. But for me, I said this to you just now, I think Darren Shan, caretaker manager, have the new manager bounce. We know that he'll be managing on Friday. Mm. So you watch this change now before we actually get there. Yeah. Um, I think the new manager bounce is over, caretaker. He knows he's not getting the job full-time. I mm. think Blues can take advantage of that? Yeah, potentially. I think all, they, they make that change in the hope. West Brom, the hierarchy, they've made the change in the hope they get that bounce and that, get that reaction. They'll be looking at it. Eight games left to play, or ten when they made the decision. Um, can we get a bit of momentum going into a playoff run? I, you know, I think they'll be honest enough to admit they're probably out of the race for an automatics now. It's probably two from three there. But they'll be hoping they can just build up a bit of steam ahead of their their playoff push and then into the playoffs. Um, they've had a, a good instant reaction. You know, their first couple of games they've got results from. Uh, they've got you know, they've got players that are seasoned professionals at, in the Premier League. Dwight you know, Gale. They've, yeah, they've kept yeah. They've, he's a natural goal scorer. They've kept older players who have been in that 
at that level. Um, you just wonder whether they've got the energy for the championship in that midfield area. I think it's somewhere that Blues will look to exploit. It was what we were actually particularly good at at Preston, is you had uh, Mahoney, Gardner, Kiftenbeld, um and Magoma all full of it. It was like they were back to what made them so good in that yeah. midsection of the season. Michael Kiftenbell covered every blade. Gary Gardner making challenge and, and getting on the ball. That's how Blues have to be on, mm-hmm. on Friday against, um, against the Baggies. I think you have to go there, make us difficult to beat. The only concerning bit is that clean sheet record. I think it's one in 13, might even yeah. be 14. I think it's 13 at the minute. That's what Blues need to just shore up a little bit now. Be, be that hard to beat side again. Go back to, you know, getting bodies behind the ball. Make us hard to beat because every manager of the opposition have spoken this season about how well drilled and well organised this Gary Monk Blues side is. Um, and, you know, one in 13 will disappoint Gary Monk, particularly as a former defender himself. So it will be a case of trying to be tough to beat. Don't concede. That being said, you're 20 seconds away from keeping a clean sheet at Preston. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they punished us with a set piece. So go back to being hard to beat. Be well organised uh, and see if we can nick it on the road. Now, I think we don't really want this to become a podcast about hoodoos, but the Hawthorns, it's been a while since we've won there. Yeah. I think Emil Heskey and Yuri Yarosik scored the goals the last time we did it. <laughs> yeah, That's got to end. Yeah, you look at all these runs and we pull out stats and facts in our, in our prep for games, but ultimately the longer the run is, I think our last episode was law of averages. Eventually yeah. the run's got to come to an end. Uh, we were hoping that it was going to be the case against Villa and it wasn't, but yeah, that's it. You got, you have, you've got to look at those. And, and if I'm honest, I don't think managers care too much about the, the historical record between sides. You know, he wasn't here then. Yeah. This group of players weren't here then. Um, so they'll just concentrate on their opposition. They'll do their homework against Brest Brom. And hopefully we can go there and, and win the game. And it just propels us then forward nicely into um, the running, really. No breaks. It's the last international break now that we're in mm-hmm. the midst of. <clears throat> and you've got a succession of games leading right the way through to that first weekend of May where we, we finish the season. So. We'll go a bit more in depth on the running and any potential sanctions that might be hanging over the club in just a minute. But about the West Brom game, what are you expecting from it? Uh, we have to be difficult to beat. Again, you know, you've got, you're going into a game against a side who are playoff promotion contenders uh, on the road. It's a local derby. The atmosphere will be very good. We'll take a decent following again. So looking forward to that atmosphere. Um, they'll look at it and say, well, we're against a side who have gone four defeats on the spin. They're there for the taking at the minute. You know, they've run their race and it's the end of their season. Uh, for us, we've got to go there and still continue the season. I mean, what you don't want is, and I think Michael Kiftenbell spoke to us after the Preston game is, you don't want all this hard work. I mean, you think of all the positive strides the club's made on and off the pitch, but if we just look at on the pitch itself this season, all the effort that's been put in, the fans have been with us all the way through. We've picked up some fantastic results, both home and away. Some real memorable games and moments in terms of you know, Shea's goals, Lukas Jukovic's goals um, this season. You don't want that to then fizzle out to nothing, to, a, to a, a stage where you know the season's finished with eight to play. And I think the players know that. And it would, be a, it would do a disservice to their efforts this season. So they want to come away <coughs> when the season finishes at Reading and say, you know what, that was a really good season. We went all the way through. And I think that's got to be... That's got to be the approach now in these remaining games is, right, yeah, we, we know where we are in the division, but let's not let all the hard work that we've put in so far go to nothing, go to waste. Right. We're nothing if not honest on Blues Talk. So for quick fire questions, I'm just going to hand over to you and let you handle this. Yeah, thanks, Kel. So we're going to go to the training ground right now. 
and go and speak to a, a, one of our squad members. It was Michael Morrison last time out with some interesting answers. Let's hope we get um, a few more interesting ones in our second uh, episode of Quickfire Questions. The Blues Talk Podcast. Okay, so I am with Conor Mahoney, who I've nabbed uh, going down for his lunch just to do a quickfire segment. So I'm going to fire these questions at you and you can answer them as honestly and as quickly as you can. Ready to go? Okay. What music do you listen to before a game? Drake. Snapchat story or Instagram stories? Instagram story. Favourite restaurant to eat at? Galdra. What's your karaoke song? Valerie. Your favourite movie? I Am Legend. Which country produces the best food? Dubai. What's your middle name? Anthony. Ideal holiday destination? Dubai. Favourite TV series? Prison Break. What do you order from a coffee shop? I don't drink coffee. Do you have tea or any other? No, no, no. Best goal you've ever seen whilst on the pitch? <sighs> don't have a clue. Did you have any posters on your bedroom wall growing up? No. Nah. What instruction do you give to the barbers when they ask how you want your hair done? Sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite cheat meal or dirty meal? Domino's. What did you go dressed as to your last fancy dress party? Ninja Turtle. NBA, NFL or Major League Baseball? Do you follow a team or do you not care about any? Not care about any. Okay. What's the names of any WhatsApp groups you're part of? The Birmingham lads. And I've got the Ibiza lads as well. My Ibiza holiday in the summer. Uh, can you play a musical instrument? No. Can you speak another language? No. Which Hollywood actor would you choose to play yourself in a movie? Uh, Ryan Reynolds. If the whole squad had a Royal Rumble, who would be left at the end? Holly Dean. <laughs> uh, best pair of trainers or boots you've ever owned? Um, F50s, Adidas F50s. Solid. Favourite pizza? What would you have on it? I just have a margarita. Uh, Favourite flavour ice cream? Like cookies and cream. Aftershave of choice? Creed. If you could be any other nationality, what would it be? French. What are the names of all the pets you or your family have owned? I have a dog called Scooby. Most song played song or album? Uh, Achievement. Have you got any tattoos and what are they? Yeah, I've got a sleeve. What type of student were you at school? Quiet. What's the strangest thing you've eaten? <laughs> Cockroach. What's on your bucket list? Uh, travel America. Do you have a reoccurring dream? No. What's the worst item of clothing you've ever worn? I don't wear bad clothes. <laughs> the lies. Addicted to anything? Sweets. Uh, what's the best way to eat chicken? So which part of a chicken and what flavour would you have? I don't really eat chicken, no. I don't really eat chicken. Final three questions. What's your thoughts on fishing? I've never done it, I never will. Have you got any memorabilia? Shirts. Yeah, i got shirts. And have you ever read a book cover to cover? Never. The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. So another set of interesting questions and answers. Fascinating. Yeah, from a player that we, at the time of recording, don't know who it was or don't know what their answers Great were. Great pick though, mate. <laughs> really good pick. Um, but yeah, I think we have to touch upon before we... We conclude the podcast, uh, the profit and sustainability hearings. Mm -hmm. All the reports were that earlier this week, um, the EFL, in their statement, sat with the club and their respective representatives to deliberate over um, over the club's finances. They've gone away now and will take their time to, to come back with a verdict. But it is something that 
Gary Monk's handled it so well in the sense that he hasn't let it distract the boys. Whenever he's asked about it, um, his answer is that you know he can't do nothing about it at this stage. Why worry about it if if it's out of your control? And um, I think everyone connected with the club would just want to know what the verdict is. If there is a punishment, let's take it and quickly move on and, and shut the shut the chapter on it. It's a bit like Brexit. It seems to have run on for that long. Uh, and it's been hanging over us that it's the only thing on the agenda. Um, so now I just think whatever it is, let's take the punishment and let's just move on. Um, I mean, in an ideal scenario, you want it to be finished by the end of the season. Because, yeah. because you know, Gary Monk's worked wonders with what he's got, but you, know, you don't want another transfer window where he, he hasn't got any room to manoeuvre in terms of players or... You know, people are talking about points deductions. You don't want to start a season on a negative because that deflates players before you've even kicked a ball. So I think from the club's point of view, you want the line to be drawn at the end of the season. We've taken our punishment and then we can move on. But um, yeah, it's something that I think everyone's a bit tired of now. Yeah. Didn't think we'd ever hear the word Brexit on this podcast. Yeah. But hey-ho, we move in. on. <laughs> on to the running. So Sheffield United, yeah. Leeds, Rotherham. Wigan, Ipswich, Derby, yeah. Reading. There's a mix of teams in Great there. Great memory there. You just really know. Yeah, absolutely. And like we say before, they uh, they all have something, or most of them have something to play for. Um, Leeds, Sheffield United, West Brom at the, the right end of the table. Rotherham, Ipswich, you know, Reading are down there um, in the bottom half. I mean, you, you'd like to have a run in. I think it was the Huddersfield game where they were on the beach down here. Or Listen, you look at every game and you don't know what sort of opposition you're going to get now. I think you look at mid-table teams, which they'll hope Blues are, and say, well, Blues will be on the beach. They won't quite be at it. You look at sides like Sheffield United, they could have their automatic spot finished mm -hmm. or um, not quite be at it because uh, Blues all of a sudden surprise them because they still have the point. So hard to guess the outcomes of games. You won't want to be a betting man in the last few weeks of the season. Um, 888 Sport, our official betting partner, but there are other bookies available. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think from our point of view, you just have to take it game by game, and it's, it is cliche. But, yeah, some tough games down here, some good atmospheres as well still to come. Um, some games uh, that'll be, you know, televised around the world. And, mm -hmm. you know, Sheffield United aside, got him at the right end of the table. Leeds United, another one. West Bromwich Albion on the road. Um, so, yeah, some tough games. And then you, you go to Rotherham, Ipswich, sides that are, that'll be fighting for their life and, and be as desperate for points as we should be. So, no easy games. A few observers this season said Blues almost look better on the road than here. Mm. You look at our away games to close out the season, Ipswich, Rotherham, Reading, uh, Reading all down there. Yeah. You're thinking, you know, There's it wouldn't be, be yeah, points. you could make a nine-point shot there. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I think that stylistically it may suit us a little bit better. You go away to a side, so if you think that the home side should set the, the impetus for the game, they'll commit more bodies forward and look to be in charge. But that just almost plays into our hands. I think Bristol City were guilt the last team to be really guilty of that. You know, they built the game up, um, still chasing playoffs, and they just almost committed so many men forward that... We said, well, OK, we'll sit back, soak up some pressure, win it, and we'll just hit you on the counter. And I think that's probably why side team or sorry, supporters may feel like we're better on the road. Um, but we've been OK. I mean, you look at the home run. I know recently we've not picked up as many results as we want at home. But, you know, for a long, what, 10 months out of Gary Monk's first 12, 
uh, we were hailing how good our home record was. Yeah. And how it was only one defeat in 20, whatever it might have been. So, um, yeah, I don't look into it too much about home or away. I fancy us, and that's, again, another positive from this year is you don't go into any game. We could play Norwich at the top. We could play Ipswich, Rotherham. You fancy Blues to get a result wherever we've been. And you mm-hmm. can't say that too many times down the last three to five seasons. So wherever we go, home or away, I, we know we're going to be in for a game, but I fancy us to pick up points. And again, it's a sign of progress. Approaching the end of the season, which of course means we are in award season. 2018-19 Player Awards at the ICC on Monday the 6th of May, sponsored by 8-8 Sport and Maple from Canada. First time we've ever had a joint Player Awards. Are you looking forward to that? Yes, yeah, different dimension. Um, like we say, the good news with the WSL and um, their new sponsorship deal, mm-hmm. £10 million being injected into the women's game. Uh, there's a joint Player Awards, which is great. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's a fantastic, it's, it's a marquee event on a on a con- on the calendar really um, fantastic for supporters but great for the players as well to celebrate like we say what we hope will be a fantastic season as a whole um, still one or two unknowns as to how it's going to finish but I think in general it will be a, a real upbeat occasion because there's been so much to celebrate both on and off the pitch some great awards as well um, so yeah it's just, it's just a great a great night for everyone who's there really we'll be there we'll be there covering it yeah um, with the workers, you know, everyone else wines and dines, but with the engine room, Cal. I've never been described as that before. <laughs> like I said, Monday the 6th of May at the ICC. For more details on packages, head to bcfc.com. Right, Dale, I think that's a natural point to conclude. Yeah, I think so. Back in one. two weeks. Hopefully, you know, we've had our ruling as we touched on. Three points away at the Hawthorns. Just looking forward to Leeds and Sheffield United. In an ideal world, yeah, we'll be sitting here looking ahead to uh, a big couple of games. Um, but let's see how it pans out. But no, another uh, interesting podcast, I think. Kevin Phillips and Paul Robinson particularly good. And hopefully we can have a good uh, a guest or two for, for the next episode. Until next time, I've been Cam Denning. And I've been Dal Moon. It's been Blues Talk here on Blues TV. The Blues Talk podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning.